Pelican. Rats. Marbles. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is animal news. This is from UPI. The headline is, Pelican wanders into restaurant, gets in line. (laughs) How polite. Right? This is a very short story, but uh, a surprised (laughs) customer at an Australian restaurant recorded a video of a pelican casually wandering into an eatery and patiently getting in line. And it's true. And I watched the video. It's just this like <laughs> giant pelican. It's just like waddling around the store. And it's just like in line with these other people that are like, I think unaware that it's there. Like some of them are aware and looking at it funny. And then there's other people in this restaurant that are just like not even phased by the so pelican So was it at like all. when people would take a step forward, would it continue with the line? It or? wasn't. Yeah. It like it didn't move with the line. Oh, it just okay. was like standing in the line okay. for some time. Huh. Like facing the right direction as if it were standing in line. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if it. I wonder if it had an idea of what it was doing or not. I don't know. Did they give it anything? Like, did they give it food at the restaurant? No. Or they, it, it, just... it stood in the line for a little bit, and then it was like it got bored and it started wandering around other parts of the restaurant. Oh. And then, that, and then I think this wasn't on the video, but someone eventually like ushered it, it out. Yeah. But I just left because. <laughs> Like, 50% of the people in this video seemed unfazed by the presence of this pelican, like, in a line. I say, well, maybe it, was, maybe it wasn't the first time that it had been there. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. It, that's why I was asking, like, if they gave it anything. Oh, like, if, yeah. if it knew that it, if it got in line, it would get, <laughs> it would get, it would get some food or something. I don't know. I don't know. But it was like a fish and chips restaurant where you, like, get in line and go up to a counter and order. And yeah, it was, that like, seems like the kind of thing a pelican would be into. Yeah, because it's like part, fish, I don't right? Know, I don't know it's about probably... the, the chips, but, yeah, definitely the fish. Maybe it was a regular customer at this place, and mm. we they, just we just don't didn't. Know that. It just didn't. It wasn't this time. Right. They didn't. They didn't all catch on. Yeah, but uh, that's the whole story. It is a funny video, um, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to add another quick note. Um, one of our listeners pointed out that when we talk about how to get the links to stuff. They, they weren't sure how to actually do that. Oh. So I want to be very clear that if yeah. you are using the Apple Podcast app, at least, you click on, like, the more like the dots for, like, more info, and it, like, expands this, like, description on each episode, mm-hmm. and then all the links are just right there. Yeah. So it's very easy to get to them. Oh, yeah. That's a good... I don't think we've ever actually described that. Mm-hmm. And if you're using the website, I think it's on the episode page. You should be able to click to each link. And I assume for other podcast apps, it's a similar thing to yeah. the Apple one where you just have to go to more information you for that episode. You have to, like, and... somehow expand the more info or, like, see yeah. description or something because it won't show it to you. But as long as you click... You find wherever button that is on whatever platform you're using and you can click it and then all the links to our stuff is right there. So if we talk about something that's like, oh, there's a video or there's a picture or something, it's super yeah. easy <laughs> to to get to the source. Yes. We also share every single link over the course of the week um, yes. on both our Facebook page and our Twitter account, which yep. we'll talk about at the end of the show, as we always do. Yep. But, so, so lots of options to yep, get them. Really easy to find it. Yeah. So but, again, go watch this video. It's amusing. I'm glad somebody asked. <laughs> My first story is science news. This is from a website called newscientist.com. Oh. <laughs> so, a new scientist. Ooh, maybe it'll make a scientist out of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, headline reads, 
I love this so much. Scientists have trained rats to drive tiny cars to collect food. <laughs> no. Yes. I just the Stuart Little just popped into my head. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's not exactly. It's not exactly that. When you see the actual car itself, it's it's not like a little convertible. It's, oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. a. It's kind of a stretch to call it a car, but it is a wheeled vehicle that they can drive. Wow. Um. Anyway. Uh, rats have mastered the art of driving a tiny car, suggesting that their brains are more flexible than we thought. Um, we know that they can learn to recognize objects, press bars, and find their way through mazes, obviously. Right. It's, it's Classic. The quintessential uh, rat experiment. Um, but Kelly Lambert at the University of Richmond and her colleagues wondered if rats could learn the more sophisticated task of operating a moving vehicle. <laughs> Which I don't... I, I, I'd love to be in that meeting where they were pitching this idea. Yeah. That, like, it's like, what What should we do next? What will really push this field forward? I like to think that it was just, <laughs> she just tr- stood up and went, rats driving cars. <laughs> <laughs> no deliberation. She just went, she's she been thinking this. about this. Uh, and everyone just starts like applauding. Yeah. Like, stands up, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Um, they constructed a tiny car out of a clear plastic food container on wheels with an aluminum floor and three copper bars functioning as a steering wheel. When a rat stood on the aluminum floor and gripped the copper bars with their paws, they completed an electrical circuit that propelled the car forward. So so their body was part of the circuit. Yeah, I mean, they're not getting electrocuted, but like, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, they, it's like connecting conduct, the two, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so touching the left center or right bar steered the car in different directions. So, like, the, oh. le- the, if they went on the left one, they would steer the car to the left. If they went on the center, they would just go forward, that kind of thing. Um, six female and 11 male rats were trained to drive the car in rectangular arenas up to four square meters in size. They were rewarded with Fruit Loop cereal pieces when they touched the steering bars and drove the car forward. So, they started off them, started them off training, but whenever they would touch the bars, they would get a little treat. Oh. Um so they encouraged them to advance their driving skills by placing the food rewards at increasingly distant points around the arena. So they would like realize they had to move the car forward or like turn it to get to the food. Um, and they said they learned to navigate the car in unique ways and engaged in steering patterns that they had never actually like been taught to use uh, to get okay. to the award or, or the reward, which is how they know they actually learn how to operate this thing. Yeah. Um, I thought this was adorable. Learning to drive seemed to relax the rats. <laughs> the researchers assessed oh. this by measuring levels of two hormones, uh, corticosterone, or, yeah, uh, a marker of stress, and dehydroepiandrosterone, which counteracts stress. And the ratio of that second one to the first one <laughs> in the rats increased over the course of their driving training. Oh, wow. So as they became more comfortable like learning this car, their stress levels decreased as well. <laughs> um, they also they found... Driving. <laughs> I think this is so good, too. They also found that the rats that drove themselves had higher... Uh, the, the counteracting stress one, uh, higher levels of that, and were less stressed than rats that were driven around as passengers in remote-controlled cars. So, like, learning to drive was more was less of a stressful situation for them than, like, being driven around. <laughs> Which I feel like kind of mimics real life, because yeah. sometimes I get kind of stressed when somebody else is driving me yeah. and I'm not in control of the car. Um, uh, the team is now planning follow-up experiments to understand how the rats learn to drive, why it seems to reduce their stress, and which brain areas are involved. Uh, so this is the first step of like teaching them, and now they want to know how did they accomplish this. And I just thought that was 
I think the just I the visual love the visual is just so cute. This story. <laughs> <laughs> Little rats driving tiny cars. Do you have a picture of yeah, it? Yeah, here's a picture of the of the vehicle. It's like a little jar with like a window and oh. <laughs> and like uh remote control car wheels on the bottom mm. looks like. Yeah. Wow. And they're able to steer it just by touching uh touching parts of this that is makeshift so steering cool. wheel. It's such a clever idea, I think, on the part of the scientists yeah. too. Like, like the des- I think the design of the car is really clever, mm-hmm. especially like cuz that's something that is simple enough that they can you know presumably learn right complicated enough that they can that it's kind still of see, there's some like discovery there and like what what can they actually do when they're given this tool yeah. i'm like that's really cool i think it's i think it's so cool so maybe they'll teach, teach rats to drive a car around a maze next yeah you know? <laughs> i'm like i want to teach more animals how to drive a car i want to teach a fish how to drive figure that one out <laughs> It's like a shark or something. Like in a, it's like what is happening? A shark tank. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my next story is archaeology news. Okay, this is from Fox News. The headline is "Ancient Greek Treasures Recovered from the Wreck of Lord Elgin's Ship." Do, <laughs> do I do I know who Lord Elgin is? I will. Um, you. I guess you don't. I didn't before I read this, but I'm okay. going to explain why Lord Elgin is famous or infamous. Um, marine archaeologists have recovered ancient treasures from the wreck of the Mentor, a ship used by the controversial Lord Elgin. <laughs> You're like, who is oh, okay. this? To transport a hoard of artifacts taken from Greece um, a long time ago, like well, I'll explain. The ship, which was carrying a cargo of 17 boxes of antiquities, sank in 1802 after striking rocks off the island of Kythera. Much of the ship's cargo, including the controversial Elgin marbles, was recovered in a, <laughs> a salvage mission soon after its sinking. And I'll explain what that is. I was going to say, I feel like this article is making a lot of assumptions about how much I know about this. <laughs> No, just wait. Just wait until this next because you're you're gonna love this. Okay, ready? The Elgin marbles uh-huh. are a set of frieze sculptures taken from the Parthenon in Athens. So I read that and I was like, I don't know what a frieze sculpture is. It's like the so then it's like I a looked, mural sculpture. Right? Oh, good. I'm glad you know that. Well, I didn't. Yeah. So I looked it up and it said a frieze is a long, narrow band of sculpture that runs along the architrave of a Greek temple or another building. And then I was like, What's, What's an, an architrave? architrave? <laughs> so then I looked that up. An architrave is a main beam resting across the tops of columns, specifically the lower third entablature. And then I was like, what's an entablature? (laughs) An entablature is a horizontal, continuous lintel on a classical building supported by columns or a wall comprising the architrave frieze and cornice. And then I was like, what's What's a a lintel? lintel? So then I looked up lintel. A lintel is a horizontal support of timber, stone, concrete, or steel across the top of a door or window. Okay. And then I finally understood. I know all those words. I know all those words. So is this is this the thing <laughs> at like that's like over the entrance? Yeah, I think so. That was missing? They somehow they took it off the building. What? Somehow. Wow, I hate Lord Elgin. Right? He was I a controversial see, I guy. I see why he's so controversial now. So he stole a bunch of artifacts from Greece, including that from, wow. um, what did I say it was from? Which The building? Parthenon, right? 
Yes, he took that from the Parthenon and apparently a bunch of other artifacts and went to London with them. Or it's, they, it ended up in London. So this this thing right now, like the, it's called the Elgin Marbles. It's in display. Um, I didn't write this down, but I think the article said this somewhere in in England. There's like a museum that has it, uh-huh. and like Greece has been like, "Hey, please give that back please to us." That. Please, please give that <laughs> back. Um, yeah, it's like it's on display in a museum somewhere. But like, yeah, so that's why he's really controversial because he stole a bunch of stuff. Okay. But apparently, his ship actually sank, and they went and recovered a bunch of the stuff right after it sank. But there was still oh, stuff there. Okay. So this recent like expedition or whatever was to go find his ship and kind of look and see like, is there still stuff here that we can recover? Um, so they did find some things. So this team of archaeologists ex- excavated the site and they recovered um, an ornate gold ring, a pair of gold earrings, and part of an, uh, an amphora jar, which is like one of those old like Greek style um, like vases basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's <laughs> this article said they also recovered. Uh, part of a wooden leg <laughs> and a like an old pulley from the ship oh. design or something. Of I guess all the so, things to have been preserved. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I, how is that still? Yeah, but I don't know. So, um, yeah. So they recovered a bunch of stuff. So that was cool, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I just, that is cool. I had a fun time learning new words. Yeah, <laughs> so. you really went down like a, a little uh, dictionary rabbit hole there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My next story is technology news. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Google claims breakthrough in quantum computing. Sounds fancy. It's it's very fancy. Don't exactly know what that means. Um, so Google has a quantum computer. Uh, I, I guess I should probably explain what that is first. Um, it, they basically a quantum computer is a computer that harnesses the power or the power, <laughs> the properties of quantum physics and the power, I guess. Um, and they have the potential. Um, to sort through a vast number of possibilities in nearly real time and come up with a probable solution. I don't understand why, but okay. smarter people than me do understand why. Um, the traditional computers store information as either zeros or ones, but quantum computers use quantum bits or qubits, which represent and store information as both zeros and ones simultaneously. Which again, uh, I don't, how does that make any sense? I don't know. I don't really get it. I haven't looked into it a ton myself, but at the same time, I feel like even if I did, I wouldn't understand why. Okay, of the two of us, you are way better suited to understand this than I am. You would think. But I, <laughs> I really, I really, I don't understand this entirely. Okay. But basically, this is, here's something that everyone can understand. The, com- the company said on Wednesday that its quantum computer generated about one million random strings of numbers in roughly three minutes, which is a task that would have taken the world's fastest conventional supercomputer, according to Google, 10,000 years. But. Whoa. And Wait, so, what was the task? Generating one million ge- random strings of numbers and. That doesn't seem a million seem, random strings yeah, of numbers. So that I, doesn't seem. Like I take that. issue with that, and so did people at this place called the International Business Machines Corp. Um, they said that the task could be handled by a traditional computer in two and a half days, which is I a much, which that. sounds a lot more accurate to yeah, me. Yeah, if it's just generating random strings, why is that? It just seems like a weird claim for Google to make. You'd think they would know these things, um, yeah. but if you think about it, three three minutes is still. Way faster than two oh, and a yeah. half days. Oh, yeah. So yes, yes, even yes. if that is the number, it's still a really impressive speed at which they're doing yes. this, this relatively straightforward task. Agreed. 
Um, so like that's a, it's also much different than ten thousand years. So yeah, like I'd, the I'd scale really like there to, is a little. <laughs> if it's anywhere from ten thousand years to two and a half days, it's impressive. Um, <laughs> the important thing here is that the machine was able to do the calculation with a low error rate, which theoretically means it should be possible to handle tougher calculations just by adding more qubits. Like the the complexity of the machine itself, like as that increases, it shouldn't result in like an increased error rate, at least. According okay. to these scientists, again, huh. this is hard to explain when I don't really understand it myself. <laughs> um, I'm <laughs> not. Right. A, we're not quantum scientists we're not, here. Yeah. Um, but it's basically the the they said that the research was met with mixed reaction from industry experts and competitors, uh, most agreeing that it's a sign of progress in the field, but is of pretty like small interest to end users because it's going to be like probably years before we can create a quantum computer that's capable of doing anything like useful to the average consumer. But they think these okay. computers will be able to do things like run like simulations of new drugs or um, different yeah. ways uh, like of combating climate change just by like essentially running a ton of simulations simultaneously all at the same time and like really fast. So I can definitely see that application for this because that is <laughs> I think right now there's sort of this like ceiling of limitation on all these different kind of areas of research and industry of like okay we could figure out this problem but we just don't have the computing mm-hmm. power, power to do it right? right so it sounds like these are basically really good for anything that involves crunching a bunch of randomly generated information or like a or even like yeah. a trained set of information like really really rapidly yeah. And that's and that's I think where we're going to see yeah, that's like advances in that kind of thing. One of the stories I had what, it was like a few weeks ago, where someone there was some research group trying that out. Mm-hmm. Were they trying to like develop a potential drug with like some type of yeah, AI essentially with AI or something? And like this is where something like that would really thrive, yeah. where it just has to try a bunch of different outcomes rapidly, and right. like it knows the conditions of the system, but it just has to try like it everything essentially. Yeah, and it, it's. It's, and then it's, it's possible cool that, now. It's that, cool to see that we're making progress yeah, in this field. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Because, um, like, the, the computer that they're using has 54 of these qubits. So, like, literally just 54 bits, which is, if you're not familiar with computers, is a very small number. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're talking, like, magnitude smaller, like, than the, like, average, like, traditional computer is capable of. So, like, once we're able to make a more traditional computer in, like, in the like quantum computing style, theoretically, this. it should be able to. It should be insanely powerful. I think right now the problem is that it's so hard to cool. make it small, so oh. they can only really exist as supercomputers. Yeah, but eventually, yeah, we always figure out how to make stuff smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> right? still we're still co- continuing to figure out ways to make like traditional transistors smaller and that kind of thing too. So, yep, only a matter of time. Yep. Okay, my next story is AI news. This is from Futurism.com. A new uh, shooting game pits you against the robot revolution by battling against neural nets that learn and become increasingly deadly with each level. What? So That's such a good idea for a game. Right? Yes. It's like the AI actually like learns. Uh-huh. How to beat you? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just being like a pre-programmed like that's behavior. actually surprising. Why haven't more games done this? I don't know. Isn't that a genius idea? Yeah. Like, I feel, feel like that makes so much sense. Yeah. They're probably honestly I mean, it makes they it probably really hard, they probably yeah they probably do it be, don't do it because it would make the game incredibly like, difficult after a point because computers right. will learn faster. Anyway, sorry. Right. Go ahead. That is true. <laughs> um, 
So this game is titled Aim and Shoot. <laughs> it's like, all right. Uh, it's not too revolutionary as far as gameplay is concerned. Or naming. Uh, or naming, yeah. <laughs> um, but according to the author here, apparently it's just you can move around and shoot this AI, con- like AI-controlled enemies, sorry, plural, that try to shoot at you. So that's all it is. Mm. Um, but the way that the game develops is the innovative part. The two most successful enemies from each level are crossed to create a new generation of more clever enemies in the next round. So they take like the two enemies that were most successful against you, uh-huh. take that and like, oh, what did they do? And then just make all the enemies like do that. That's so that's it just keeps wild. getting like harder, just depending on like which types of things you struggle with. Um, okay, again, according to the author who played this, the baseline neural nets rarely manage to aim their guns at the player. So like the, it starts out at like a really like it doesn't know what it's doing kind of uh-huh. level. Um, but then they rapidly become more and more dangerous and learn. And, uh, when this guy was trying it, apparently they learned to just like throw bullets, like all over the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, oh no. And that was like really hard, but then yeah. he kind of figured out how to like block against that. And then they finally, like after that, it learned to like shoot directly at him kind of thing. Oh like, wow. But it wasn't like, I guess it's like when you first start, it's just kind of randomly like doing stuff. Uh-huh. Cause that's kind of how. That's how it learns. Training works. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just like tries random things to see like what's actually effective. That's that's <laughs> yeah, really wild. Like I feel like a lot of video games could implement technology like that. Like yeah. maybe like a toggle like hey, do you want like the preset stuff or do you want it to like learn your weaknesses right. <laughs> in this game? Or even know. even as like some games have something called like a horde mode where you're put up against like yeah. waves of enemies like something like this would just make a ton of sense yes. for something like that where they just yeah. like as the waves go on they get harder because they learn from you that's, that's so like cool. i already think those like horde things are like so hard like i'd never yeah. get that far in them anyway and i feel like this would <laughs> just be like learned. worse they learn them like oh i always forget to check that window well they're just about to set like everyone through that i window. just want to try this from a technical standpoint i re- like it's it's the kind of thing that just really intrigues me i want to try to break it and like or like confuse it or yeah see how well it learns to adapt to different things yeah like if i start just like starting the level by charging at them like do they like learn to aim at me or like if I stay behind cover a lot, do they learn to just come over and attack me yeah, behind the cover yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. Anyway. Nah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's makes, cool. It just makes me want to try it. My next story is random local news. Oh, I feel like we haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah. Uh, this is from Buzzfeed news. Uh, a local TV reporter was fired for jumping on classic cars during a live segment. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, your reaction, hold on. Your reaction, your reaction is correct. Uh, <gasps> like several levels of reaction. To yeah. This. So CBS 13's Good Day Sacramento reporter, oh. Angel Cardenas, was fired after an on-air segment in which he jumped on several cars and appeared to hit another with a car door. No! According to the uh, Sacramento International Auto Show, uh, though the Sacramento Bee reports that no vehicles were actually damaged during this. Okay. Um, but there's video of this where he says, um, no one is out here to tell me which car I can't go in because some of these are off limits. So I'm just going to live on the wild side, which he said before hopping onto the trunk of a vintage <gasps> or the, on the, onto the trunk of a vintage yellow Ford Thunderbird. He said, I feel like a kid in a candy store without the owner because you can do anything. 
What is wrong with this guy? What? It what gets worse. With no, you? this gets worse though. What is wrong with this person? So then he opens the driver's side door of a pink 1956 Thunderbird and appears to hit the passenger side door of the Thunderbird parked next to it. He was also during this, this wasn't a classic car, but he was filmed jumping onto the hood of a new hybrid Ford SUV, even after noting a sign said to keep off of the displays. And he said after he jumped onto it, that didn't sound good. Before a man came over and asked him to get off of the vehicle. What is this guy, six years old? I don't know. He, I mean, from the video, he looked like a normal, like, aged adult. <laughs> How are you, you like a professional? You're a reporter. You're you're thinking. Who thinks this is a good idea? That's like you like, don't, even I don't have to be a reporter guy, to know that's a bad yeah, idea. I know. Like he was thinking like, oh, I'm gonna like impress people uh-huh, with my like, like personality on this TV. You get off the yeah. Does he know anything? Like I'm not even into cars, and I that is scares me. So they, I know. Yeah, I'm not like, like a car person or anything, but it's still like somebody else's property that you're jumping on. Yeah, and they're like vintage car. Like, do you know? Yeah. Like those are not. You can't just like fix stuff if it gets damaged. Right. Like you can't you have like to you, rebuild it. <laughs> you kind of can sometimes maybe if you're lucky, but it's not yeah, that's but not basically good. the the TV station got a ton of complaints about this segment. Um the Sacramento International Auto Show said that the producer reached out to the station's general manager um or the producer of the auto show reached out to the station's general manager to complain about the reporter's quote astonishingly awful behavior which fair yeah uh, during the segment and was told that the uh, reporter had been terminated um and the station has also apologized according to the auto show which is like the least they can do for just completely disrespecting these people yeah um, Can you imagine if you were one of the people, like the owners of one of those cars? Yeah, and you and saw you this saw on that TV. later, and you were like, uh, uh, that's my car. Yeah. That would be so upsetting. Well, that's and that's got to be frustrating, because I, I imagine the owners of the cars aren't like necessarily the owners of the auto show, so it's probably people right. like trusting this auto show yeah. to keep their stuff safe. Yeah, exactly. Like, why wasn't somebody with him like from the get-go being like, hey, don't. Yeah, like, like was didn't he have like a crew with him or something? Like someone being like, hey, I mean, he's being filmed at least. Like you would think <laughs> the cameraman even would just be like, uh, dude, that's not any like nobody does that. Oh, that's just that's messed up. But yeah, this this made me very very mad. <laughs> um, just don't don't do this. I think <laughs> that's our don't P- do this. That's our PSA but, for this week. You know, this yes, and further, it is not cool or funny to potentially be damaging someone else's stuff yeah ever it's just not it's never no ever stop like just don't do that you wouldn't want someone to do that to you exactly golden rule people. so don't do it to them simple (sighs) okay well on that note we're now going to move on to breaking news the part of the show where anthony and i look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly what is a lintel Ready, set, go! Okay, I found this on BBC Health. The headline is, Poor Toilet Hygiene Behind E. coli Superbug Spread. Gross. So apparently, there's some type of E. coli outbreak somewhere in England happening right now. Um, And... Someone did a study and basically concluded that it's spreading not because there's, like, contaminated food, but because people aren't washing their hands after they go to the bathroom. Gross. So this article is pretty much a PSA to please do that. Yeah. Every time. It's disgusting. Okay, even if 
I just, I have to say this. Even if you think like, oh, I didn't, my hands oh my God, are no, dirty. No, no. Just, the fact that you were it. in there, the fact that you were in there at if all. If you touched anything in a bathroom. Yeah. Because it's just, just any, everything in there is like contaminated. It's all covered in poop. So like, <laughs> so you have to wash your hands. Please. Oh my, please. So it's, I just feel like I need to say this just in case. I feel like probably the people listening to this are like, yeah, of course. But like, you know, just in case. Well, yeah, we know you guys are cool. But yeah. tell, tell the people that you know that aren't as cool as you. Right. So yeah, second PSA of this episode. Okay, I found this on UPI. Bears break into Montana garage, feast on beef tenderloin. <laughs> it's bear okay. news, everyone. All right. And it sounds honestly, it sounds like these bears have some pretty good taste. Um, this is a Montana homeowner who said bears broke into her garage. Uh, uh, she's uh, this woman, Ronnie Morris of Missoula. Uh, said she spots bears on her property about once a week, which oh, that seems very common. Oh. Um, but a group of them recently managed to open her garage doors and raid her chest freezer. Uh, they ate an entire beef tenderloin from Costco. A, I don't know why she included that. but <laughs> you, because they're larger than normal beef tenderloins, probably. <laughs> if you need a beef tender, an entire beef tenderloin, go to Costco. Uh, a couple of lamb roasts and frozen huckleberries. So they had, like, their fill of meat and then got a little uh, dessert, a healthy dessert snack at the end there. Um, The Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department said Missoula bear sightings have recently increased uh, with one incident involving a bear in a tree (laughs) outside (laughs) St. Patrick Hospital uh, being broadcast live on the A&E series Live PD. I don't know what that means. Uh, (laughs) And I love this name. This is a bear specialist with the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department, which I wonder how you become a bear specialist. Oh, yeah. Have we that talked about really bear- exciting. Have we talked about bears enough that we could be considered bear specialists? <gasps> I want to be a know. bear specialist. Um, Let's look into that. But this person, his name is James Jonkel. <laughs> what? Isn't that a, isn't, that's a wonderful name? I, I love that name, but if I heard that, I wouldn't. Immediately think bear specialist. James Jonkel, bear specialist. Uh, another resident uh, nearby uh, to the, this house that was recently raided uh, recently reported that bears had twice invaded their home. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So, they're getting ready for hibernation. Yeah, I think, I think it's just that time of year where they're just looking for any source of food. And, I mean, yeah. chest freezer is basically just a treasure chest yep. to a bear. Well, I hope they enjoyed their huckleberry I was gonna dessert. Say, I was going to say light snack, but it's a pretty heavy it's snack. They're super lucky find of meats <laughs> and huckleberries. Yes. Um, it's too bad for the owners of the meats and huckleberries, but... But they know where to go back. Costco. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's our show. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. Remember my tip from earlier. Yeah. How to find that. Yeah. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, think about sharing Knickknack uh, News with yeah. somebody who would be interested in bears and architecture and... Pelicans. Pelicans. Looking up Greek words. Yes. AI stuff. 
Yeah. What else did we talk about today? <laughs> <laughs> and Rhett's driving tiny cars. Yes. <laughs> um, and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash news and on Twitter at at news. And remember, you can also, we'll post all the story links on those pages as well. So follow us. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.